Good morning, everybody. Today, Bezrat Hashem, we'll be learning Daf Ein Bez in Maseches Yuma. We're starting nine lines from the wide lines on Ein Aleph and Bez. We're still talking textiles, the different begadim of the coin gadol. We finished the Seder Avoda yes, um, over the over really the Shabbos, and then yesterday we started talking about the coin gadol. Goranowitz started the day strong by asking, with regards to the stories, the Shmai and Avtalion, yesterday they mixed it up with the Kohen Gadol afterwards, not the most climactic story with regards to how do you, um, how do we usually perceive the glory of the Mare Kohen at the end of the Avos Yom Kippurim, that, that glory was punctured thereafter by a story of a little sort of scuffle that the Kohen Gadol had with Shemayin Naftalion in the cafe after the, uh, on Motzei Yom Kippur. So what's going on with this? So, you know, I, the, the, way, the way I see it is the, this focus on the Kohen Gadol. After we've done all this incredible amount of focus on the, on the Kohen Gadol, we are actually a little bit uh, getting back to earth, which is to say, instead of investing all of our... Um, sort of kochos in the Kohen Gadol himself, we realize that ultimately it's a Kaddish Baruch Hu that is providing us with all of our, uh, right, he's ultimately the one providing with all our needs, just like we learned in this past week's Parsha that it's not, it wasn't the snake that provided us with, right, the Rafua when we had the, when we had the Magifa, um, and it's just like, it wasn't Miriam who actually provided us with the water, it was Hashem always that was providing us with the water, perhaps in the Zchus of Miriam in the, in the Midbar, but it all ultimately comes from Hashem. And so, you know, after we finish with the regal Mare coin of the coin Gadol, we understand that what we're marveling at is not in fact the coin Gadol himself, but the glory that can be appreciated, that's ultimately the Hashem's glory in the context of the Beis HaMikdash. So now, uh, we continue with the glory part of the... But what happened, why did they get angry? Right, so he's asking, why would... Why did, why, oh. Right, so, so Goranowitz is asking, why did Shemai and Eftalion even who were the Gedolim of that generation, even get into the scuffle? Well, you look at the language. The lesson that they were t- saying to, to uh, the Kohen Gadol was, it's more, this is, it fits in with the theme that we're saying, which is, they were telling the Kohen Gadol, more important than being the Kohen Gadol and wearing those vestments, right, wearing the Kohen Gadol's clothing, is behaving like a Kohen Gadol. That's what they were saying. And so, and so really you look at the core behavior as opposed to just the outer trappings. But we're, but that doesn't mean that we don't learn about the outer trappings and the begotting, and that's where we resume now. Where we're talking about. When you get angry, you should always not get angry because of your cover, but right. you your mind. Exactly. So it was, that's the Goranowitz Mr. Moment, which is they were that angry on a personal note, but it was a Lashem Shemaim message. Very good. Okay, so we had a Bryce, so the Bryce has said that Sheish, whenever you see in the Pasuk it says Sheish, it's a six-ply string. Whenever you see Mashzar, it's eight-ply, right? And, and then we're going to see. Um, and then we're going to get to 12 and 24 and uh, 28. So we'll see the references of the Bryce taken apart uh, bit by bit here. So now it comes to Mashzar, which is nine lines up. It says Mashzar Shmona. All right, so how do we know that whenever the, the Pasuk says Mashzar, it's referring to an eight-ply thread? Minalan asks the Gemara. So it says in Shemos Lametes, right, it's talking about the big day, Kohen Gadol. 
Rimonet Chelis Ve'agaman V'tolaz Shani Mash Zar. Right? So, this is referring to the Me'il. The Me'il of the Kohen Gadol is made, cool, is made entirely of Chelis. It was awesome. And it had these Chelis pomegranates um, and, and also wool and Tolas Shani, right, which is like the famous Tolas, right, worm that had like a certain uh, silk. All of it was twined together. And, and, and at the end it says Mashzar. And then it says Ve'elif Mashzar, Mashzar mi Paroches. And then we have a Gezer Shava, the Paroches that covered the, right, um, the, that divided the Heichal from the Kaddish Kadashim also said, was also uh, equated, right, over here with the, with the Shulei Hamil. How so? What, what does the, what does the two have, have to do with each other? Because the Paroches itself is, is also made from Sheish. Uh, the word is there also. And so therefore there we know that that's sixfold. And in addition, the paroches was made out of four distinct type of materials, right? It had the three types of wool that are mentioned here and linen, okay? And that gazei or shava um, is also relevant to us. So over there it's made out of four and we'll see. So the, the, the Gemara is going to spell it out. But just like we just said now, just like the paroches, we know that, that each cord had a 24-fold, um, right, sort of twine to the cord. So again, now we're going to do a little bit of basic arithmetic, which is as follows. The thread had 24 strands, but they were composed in the actual paroches. The 24, uh, the 24 strands were composed of four different kinds of threads. So if you have 24 total strands, and four different kinds of threads, that's how you arrive at the sheish of the paroches. So again, the paroches was six times four, uh, which result in 24 strands. However, so what we're learning from the paroches is that in fact, the shulei hameil is, is also 24 strands, just like the paroches had 24 strands. However, as Rashi... We're gonna get we're gonna get to the tzitzis in a minute. Yeah. He looks at it like we're doing this. Yeah. Every little strand, every right. little. Right. Is that the way we should do our mitzvahs? You know, every little. Oh, you really, Granitz? You don't realize this 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 daf uh, Ayn Bays in Yuma. It reads like like the best you know Shabbos Shuvah drasha or Shabbos Agadol drasha, where it's technical on Ahmed Aleph, but Ahmed Bays is all Musar, So don't worry. So anyway, so it says Malahalan Estream Ve'arba. So 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 Rashi spells it out here. Sharei Dal Minim Yeshba Vachol Minim Min Kaful Sheish. Right. So we know that the Parochus is twenty four strands, and therefore it's. But we know that it has four Minim Dal Minim, and therefore that means that each one is Sheish, and that's how you arrive at twenty four. Four Minim Sheish. Apply each is twenty-four total strands. So too says Rashi. Afkan chavdalad. So too here twenty-four. However, vachan gimel minim. Ah, but in the shulei amiel we have three three types of strings, and therefore the havu lahu kol chad vachad tamni. That's how you arrive at eight, because twenty-four divided by four is six, but twenty-four divided by three types of strings actually comes out to eight. That's how we know that mashzar means eight. The, that's the Gemara says. Each one is eight. 
So now the Gemara is just saying, okay, so we learned it from the Parochas, 24-24, and now we know that Mashazar means eight. But why are we learning from the Parochas? V'neleth mi'choshen ve'efod, right? The choshen ve'efod also has the, the term Mashazar, and so, and so why aren't we learning from there? Malaholon esrim v'shmona, afkan esrim v'shmona. Happens to be that the choshen and the ephod, their strings had 28 strands, as we will discuss later in the Gemara. So why don't we say that the shulei hameil should also have 28 strands? The Gemara answers, Donin davr shalon neymar bozav, mi davr shalon neymar bozav. As we're going to see uh, soon enough in, in, in Ayin Bez, uh, there's an extra strand of gold which accounts for the 28 strands in the Choshen and the Ephod. And therefore, we do not have a strand of gold in the Shulei Hameil, and therefore that's why we're not counting it from the Choshen and the Ephod. It's comprised, it's not comprised of gold. So why would we compare it to something that is comprised of gold? Uh, we, we are not, you, that's like mixing apples and oranges or pomegranates and oranges as it were. Anyway, so he say, right? The Choshen and Fod have the strand of gold, and therefore they're not comparable here to the Shulei Amiel, which do not, and that's why we don't learn one from the other. So the Gemara says, Adaraba, don't even beg at me, beg at. He says, wait a minute. You think that it's not comparable to compare the, the Shulei Amiel to the Ephod because the Ephod has a strand of gold, but you're comfortable comparing it to a curtain, which is not even clothing? So why does that make any sense? La fuke parochas de ohelhu. The parochas doesn't even close. It's a curtain. So says the Gemara now. El adonin me'avnet. You're right. The Gemara is conceding that point. It's not being compared to the actual parochas, but the avnet, which is, right, the belt of the coin gadol, that too had 24 strands, unlike the ephod, like the curtain, and yet, unlike the curtain, it was Begit. So that's perfect, because as the Gemara continues to say, The Avnate had both components. It's clothing, like the Shulei Amiel, and it doesn't have gold, and therefore, that's the best comparison that we have over here to the Shulei Hameil. And therefore, therefore, we don't get into comparing pomegranates and oranges, uh, something with gold to something without gold, something that isn't a beged to something that, that is a beged, and that is the best comparison. What's the famous expression, don't, you don't compare? Apples to oranges. Why? So, uh, because you're make, trying to compare them, but the two are not the same. So why are you, right? <coughs> why are you making that comparison? They're not supposed to be the same. Now, Rav Mariamar, um, what's this? Another reason for learning the, uh, the Shuli Yame'il from the Choshen and the Ephod, uh, um, for, for not learning it from the Choshen and Ephod, not only because the Choshen and Ephod has, has gold, but also because in the, with regards to the Choshen, it says, Vasisa Choshen Mishpat, this is Shmos Chavches Tesvav, Vasisa Choshen Mishpat, Masei Choshev, Kemasei Ephod, Ta'asenu. So it says ve'asisa, which is fine, but then it has an extra tasenu. What's this tasenu? It says the Gemara, tasenu l'acher. That implies that whatever we are going to say by the choshen mishpat and the ephod is really very unique to that, and therefore, anyways, it's not any comparison to the choshen ephod is not appropriate because it is a singularly unique type of craft, and therefore, that's just another reason that Ramari is piling on that we would have to learn the shulei hameil not from the ephod, but rather from the avnate from the belt. Good. Another reason that 
that the, that we can't learn it from the ephod, which again has 28 strands, is simple math. This is what Ravashi points out. Ravashi Amar, Ve'asisaksiv, what says you should make. What does that mean? Should you call us Yos Shavos? That means, and we're going to get to the Tzitzis in a minute, Quranos, but when you're making all the strands, they should all have an equal number. Ve'hechi Navid, how are you going to make equal number of strands? Navid, Klosa Dasara, Asara. In other words, how does 28 work? The bottom line is, we have what? Three minimum. We have three different types of strands. So if you're going to say that has to be 24 strands, it's perfect. Then we have three times eight is 24, and that's perfect. If you're going to say it's 24 strands, three times eight is 24, we could do an eight-ply string and say that mashzar means eight-ply, and we're good. Three minimum, eight-ply each, 24 strands, bada-bing, bada-boom. But if you're going to say that it's supposed to be 28 strands, then the math is off because 28 is not divisible by 3. That's what the Gemara is saying in this little shtickle over here. How are you going to divide 28 by 3? Are you going to say that it's 10? It's saying, how are you going to divide 28 by 3? Should we say 3 times 10? Well, that's that Navit plus or dasar asar, that's going to make 30. You're going to make three threads, three threads of 10 strands apiece. That's going to make 30. That doesn't work. Navit trade the tisha tisha v'chad asar. Are you going to say, okay, so we can't make 30 and it's not really divisible. So let's do like this. Let's make two uh, let's, that are made out of nine strands. One that's made out of 10 strands. Add it all together. You'll get your 28. So Amar Kra v'asisa. you call us Shavos. But we can't do that. We can't have two nines and one 10. Because that would make it an unequal number of strands in each string. And that is one thing that we cannot violate. So it's simple math. 28 doesn't divide by 3. We only have 3 strands. And therefore, it must be 24 just because of the mathematical necessity. Aside from the fact that you can't learn from the aphod, And aside from the fact that aphod is Zav. So now we have three reasons why we're not learning the Shulei HaMe'il from the aphod. Um and rather learning it from the Avnate. Good. Now, in the last line of Ayin Alephim, Beis Me'il Shnei Now, we said that Mashzar is referring to, whenever we say Mashzar, we say eight, eight ply. Whenever we say Me'il, that is made out of the 12, of, of the Tcheles, that is 12 four-fold chords. It's a 12-strand thing. Minolan, how do we know that? Dechzev, Asisas Me'il Ha'efod. It says you should make the me'il of the ephod as we arrive at Ein Bezim at at the still manageably obnoxious time of 5.50 a.m. It says, Kleel Techelis. It has to be, what? A two-ply thread. Kleel Techelis. The, the Gemara understands Kleel to be referring to what Gorinus was saying before, to be like Gedil, that it has to be at least at least two. Ve'elav Techelis, Techelis mi paroches. And we learn the Techelis from the paroches, that's the Xera Shava, because the Parochis also had Tchelis. Malahalan Shisha, Afkan Shisha. So, you put it all together, and you say like this. In the Parochis, each of the four strings was six ply. Okay, and they have, happened to have had four strings. Here, too, each of the strings is six ply. However, it's braided, which implies a two ply thread. So, therefore, Whereas in the paroches, it's six times four, equaling a total of 24. In the me'il, it's six times two, equaling a total of 12. And that's how we arrive at the 12 threads of the me'il. Well, what commands all these uh, things? And all of the right. All the this is all in Shmos, in Shmos Chavches, Shmos Lamates. This is what uh, you're spacing out in Shul when you're learning Truma Tetzav and all the Begadim of the... Uh, of the coin Gadol, you should have to pay attention the next time around, okay? Okay, thank you. See, I'll go over it. That's right. That's right. 
So now the Gemara says, V'nelef mishulav v'rimonav. The Gemara says, wait, wait, wait a minute. Why are we learning it from the parochas? Simil- very similar argument to what we said before. Let's learn it from uh, the th- threads that ha- are at the hem that attach to the pomegranates of the me'il, to the rimonim. And there we know it's shmona, malahalan shmona, afkan shmona. There it's eight strand. So why are we doing, why are we learning it from the sixth strand of the parochas? We can learn from the eight strand that we discussed before because there's three different strands, right? The sheish mashzar. The mashzar, we said, it's 24 divided by three, not by four, and therefore it's eight strand um, strings. So why don't we learn from there? So the Gemara answers, Dunin kli mi kli, ain't dunin kli mi kli. Unbelievable Gemara here. Where we're referring to the parochas as a kli, this, this uh, is uh, a, a, an area for further study for those who are interested. What is, what is considered kli hamikdash and what's considered ornaments to the kli of the mikdash? So here we're saying a statement that the parochas is certainly one of the kli hamikdash, kli mikli. Um, the ain't done in kli metachshet kli, whereas the rimonim that are hanging at the hem of the me'il are not considered kli hamikdash themselves, but an ornament attached to the kli. That's fascinating, okay? And therefore, uh, this is what the Gemara is using as the reason why we're learning the six ply, not the eight ply, because the parochas is six ply, and it's a kli hamikdash, okay? And the eight ply is simply an ornament, and therefore not the same. However, just as we said before, we're going to say now, Adaraba, done in Gufo Migufo, right? Just like before, the Choshen and the Aphod had this strand of, of Zav, and thus they were different from, uh, right, from the Me'il, but still, um, they were, um, right, but we said they, they were different because they weren't even Begadim. So here too, we're going to say Adaraba. Let's learn the Me'il from itself. Right? Okay, so you, so it's not a kli, but at least it's part of the me'il, so why shouldn't all the components of the me'il be consistent with each other? What does it have to do with the parochas? So, done in gufa megufa, it should, it, it should reflect the, the, um, the fact, you know, the fact that the rimonim were ornamental, notwithstanding, the rest of the me'il should be consistent with the rimonim, as opposed to with the parochas. Ve'ain done in gufa me'alma. Shouldn't learn the me'il from just stam, something out there in the world, that's the curtain. That's, what does the curtain have to do with the me'il? So the Gemara says, yeah, that's, that's right. I think that's right. Hainu darmina. That's why we said, So you're right. It's like a gzeris akasiv. That's what the Pasuk, in fact, said earlier when we mentioned the Brisa yesterday, right? We said that it says sheish five different times and it teaches you five different things. And one of those things was to teach you that as opposed to, right, the tachshit kli, we're going to learn, right, that even where sheish is not mentioned, it should still be six ply. And that, in fact, is the source. It's a source that emanates from the word sheish appearing in the context of begadim, not appearing in the context of the parochas. And one of the things that we learn is that, in fact, it's a six ply uh, thread doubled over, thus accounting for the 12, uh, the 12 threads of the me'il. Beautiful. Okay, so now we've done the sheish, we've done the mashzar, we've done the 12 of the me'il. Now we're going to go two more. We have the 24 and the 28. So the parochas, as we've already mentioned multiple times, is a stream ve'arba, says the Gemara. Says the Gemara, arba de shisa shisa, right? As we've already said, that it's four different threads, which are a six-ply thread, uh, totaling 24. Lo din of lo dayana. Says the Gemara, Bar Hashem, nobody disputes this. There's neither judgment nor judge here. And everyone can be whole with this. We've gone over it from different directions, and it's all cool. So fine, it's 24. Let's move on to 28. and ve'efo, they have 28. So I will say it outside first, because we've already said it. It's the 24 plus one 
thread of gold running through each of the four. That's going to be 24 plus 4. It's, that's how we arrive at 28. Let's read it inside because it's a little bit more of a detail in the Gemara as follows. Minalan, how do we know that the Choshen Efod are going to have 28 threads? Okay, so first, so, so far, it's good. Beautiful. So we have the Zav, Tchelet, Argaman, Tolas, Shani. Four different types of threads. And then it throws in Shesh. So each one's going to be six. Mashzar. Says the Gemara, Arba, Deshisa, Shisa. So we have the threads of the last four materials where each Shesh, Shesh, right? Which is to say six ply. That's 24. Esrim, Arba, says the Gemara. Then Zahav, Arba. And then another additional four strands of gold, ha utmanya, which is how you arrive at 28. So now we're going to say, wait a minute. Why do we know that the gold were four? You should also be six. Now, if I was in the base of Medrash with a Chavrusa and he would ask me that, I'd say, what are you talking about? It's four different six-ply threads. So yeah, it's like tzitzis, because that's what we're used to already, right? You have one tchelas, let's say, Right, although there's a lot of shitas on how to apply the tchelas to the, to the, to the lavan. But, you know, it, it would make sense, at least it, it makes sense that you have one thread of gold running through each four threads. And so why are you even suggesting six? Anyway, the Gemara's gonna kick it around and come back to, to that more, most pushed understanding of how the, right, gold is woven in. But before we do, we're just gonna kick it around a little bit. So Amar Ravachab or Yaakov, it says, Amar Krav, Pesilim. This is, in a sense, uh, all the description you need. Why? Because kitsates means you're cutting. Psili means it's at least plural, right? At least two. So if you have two and you cut two in, in half, you arrive two times two is four. That's how he says you arrive at four. Psil, right? Had it said vikitsates psil, then you would have had two. But says the Gemara Psilim Harekan Arba. That's what Ravacha Yaakov means. That in the making of the golden strands, that's where the context of where it says the Kitzitz Psilim. That's in right Shmos Lamates Gimel. It says Very Yarakut Pachayazahav Kitzitz Psilim. It's talking about the actual fashioning of the gold strand of the Ephod. It's literally telling you how to make it. You take Pachayazahav. You take strands of gold. You pound it out, and then you cut it. You cut pesilim. So cutting pesilim is how you arrive at four, because pesilim is plural. Cutting it is in half. Beautiful. Ravashi Amar, a different answer. We already have an answer, but let's see a different answer, a different source. Amar Korla, sos pesoch atcheles v'pesoch argaman. The same pasuk tells you to put it in the, to the tcheles and the argaman. Hechi navid. How are you going to have six strands of gold worked into the other four materials that are mentioned in pasuk Gimel of Shemos Lamates? Right? In other words, Ravashi is coming back to the way we were saying before that the math doesn't work out. Right? And that, and that is how he also pointed out before with the meal. He's always talking about the mathematical necessity. So he's saying, look, we have four different types of strands and we're going to weave one strand of gold into each, right? Otherwise, how are we going to do it? Hechi Navid. Navid Arba de Trey, Trey. Should we make four sets of two gold strands? Then we're going to end up with eight. Okay, so eight is too much, not six. Okay, so Navid traded, right? In other words, the suggestion of the Gemara was not that we should do four, was not that we should do four or that we should do eight. That was never the objection of the Gemara. The Gemara just says, it says Sheish in the Pasuk. So the Gemara says, why are we doing four instead of six? That was the question. Right, so he's saying, well, the fact that we have four 
elements of different kinds of strands, how are you going to f- uh, split up six into four? He's just saying sim- very similar to what he said before, that six just doesn't divide into four. And that's why we have to have four. So again, if we do, if we divide it four and in, in multiply it by two rather, so we're going to have shmona, that's not good because that wasn't never uh, going to be the number. It was going to be either four or six. Okay. So now the trade, the trade, the trade. So make two sets of gold and braid it into two threads. We trade the chad, chad. So maybe you'll have, right, how are you going to do six? You'll have, again, fourth strands. So take two of them and have them doubled with gold, and that'll be four, and then another two, and have them singled, bang, you get six. But that we're not going to do, because they have to be, even as the Pasuk says, even in this context as well, that all of the asios have to be equal. And therefore, it's either going to be all two, or all one, but it's all going to be equal. Well, if you do all two, we end up at eight. Eight was never a consideration. It was only going to be either six or four. Once you're choosing one of the two, and the most important, like, sort of priority is that it all be equal, then of course you're going to do four, because four is one strand for each of the four threads. So now we're four lines up from the wide on, on Bezim and Aleph, and another halacha with regards to the begotting. We're out of the strands. We did 28, 24, 12, 8, and 6, and now we're up to a different halacha here. You can't tear the big day kahuna. If you do so, you get malchus. Malchus. It's a lav in the Torah for which you get malchus. Shenamar lo yikare. Right? A lav sheesh b'maisa. You get malchus for it. You're not allowed to rip. Okay? That's the pasuk. The pasuk says um, that, that you're not allowed to that you're not allowed to rip it. Fine. So the thing is, however, says the Gemara, maskif lo of achar bar Yaakov. He's Incensed at this, he says, "What do you mean?" Yeah, you look at the pasuk, and the pasuk says that that you're supposed to do it in a way. You're supposed to fashion it in a way. This is Shmos Chaf Ches Lamed Pasuk Lamed Beis. It says when you're making the meal that the neck right should be Really, when you read the Pasuk, what it's basically saying is that when you're making that opening, the hem around the neck, that it shouldn't be torn. That the reason why you're stitching it this way is to strengthen it, right, so that it doesn't tear there. That is Ravacha Bar Yaakov's objection. He's saying, what do you mean? When the Pasuk says, lo yikarea, it doesn't mean necessarily that there's a halacha that you're going to get a lav, you're going to get malchus for tearing it. It just means that this is how you're supposed to stitch it in order to avoid tearing. So the command says, Mik siv shaloi kareh, is it in so that it should not be torn? Um, well, it is. But what he's really saying is, it sounds like, it, right, even though it says loi kareh, it doesn't say so that it should not be torn. That's the point. It's not explicit in saying that the reason why we're doing this stitching is to strengthen it. It's really mostly just saying that that it's sh- that you should make the stitching. So had the Torah explicitly said the reason why you're doing it is so that it shall not be torn, so then we would say like Ravachabar Yaakov that that's why we're doing it, and there's no iser to tear it, but it's just a description of how it's stitched. But the Torah didn't explicitly say, oh, stitch it like this or shouldn't be torn. It says stitch it like that, and it shouldn't be torn. Well, 
you could make the inference that Rav Achab Yaakov said that that's why we're stitching it like that. But because the Torah doesn't say it explicitly, the Gemara is saying that it, it could also be saying that there's a lav, and we don't want to take any chances. There's a lav. You're not allowed to tear it, and you get malakas for tearing it. Fine. Very similarly, it says like this. Let's say you loosen the choshen from the ephod, right? The ephod has an area, uh, uh, sort of uh, part of it, that the Choshen inserts into. So Vahamesir Bade Aron, or you move the poles of the Aron, Loke, you get you get Malkus for this also. There's a lot there. How does it say Shinemar Lo Yizach, right? Veloyasuru. According to Psukim over here, that you're supposed to attach the Choshen, right, to the rings. The Afod has these rings on it. The Choshen has rings on it, and you would tie the Choshen to the Afod with strands of Tchelis. That's all Explicit in the pasuk in Perik Chavches pasuk Chavches, right? It says Ve'yikasus Achoshen mitabosav el tabos ha'ifod bipsil tchelas liyos al cheshev ha'ifod. That's the first part that you're tying the choshen to the ifod with the strands of tchelas, and then it says Velo yizach ha'choshen me'al ha'ifod, and you shouldn't right take away the choshen me'al ha'ifod. And similarly with regards to the aron, right? That's already in. Um, in, te, in Tesvav, in, in a different parak, Shmos Chav Hei, right? Yudalad uh, in Tesvav, V'tabos Haron Yiyu Abadim, Lo Yasuri Menu. Okay, so just like we have by the Ephod, you're not supposed to take off the Choshen from the Ephod, so too, what you have by the Aron, you're not supposed to take the poles out of the rings of the Aron. Fine. And so to that, we have Rabbi Elazar saying that there's an Isr Lav and an Isr Malkus to do this detaching. So Rav Yaakov now, just like he had done earlier with regards to the tearing of the Big Dekehuna, he has a very similar objection here as follows. Maybe what the Torah was saying was, In other words, again, just like we said by the hem of the Me'il, maybe it's just telling you how to construct it so that it's sturdy. Similarly here too. Tie the the Choshet to the Ephod sturdily and put the the poles into the rings of the Aaron sturdily so that they do not fall out. The Torah is not trying to tell you, says the Rabbi Yaakov, the Isra Lav of Malchus of removing these removable things. It's simply telling you that when you construct them, construct them in the sturdiest possible way so that they do not fall out on their own. To which the Gemara answers, yasuru. says, yeah, the Pasuk says that it shouldn't fall out. But the Pasuk doesn't say that the, you should construct it explicitly in such a way so that it not fall out. And therefore, we don't, um, we don't have any indication that, that it was necessarily talking about the style of construction. Maybe it was, in fact, telling you, the, and therefore, since we don't have that indication, we're assuming that it means that there's a nisr love to take these things apart. So now we find ourselves nine lo- lines up from the bottom on Ambezim and Aleph. And we are... Focusing now on the poles of the Aaron as follows. So as we mentioned, we're not supposed to re, uh, remove, right, the poles from the rings of the Aaron. And in addition, it says, So we have here a contradiction. It says that when you are moving around the Aaron, it says, yeah, put the rings in. That's, that's in. Now you feel like you're there now. Yeah. Zayin, Shmos Chav Zayin, Pasuk Zayin. That's why we're learning to be like you're in the temple. Right, so when you're about to carry the Aron, right, it feels like very real. When you're about to carry the Aron, maybe we be to do it soon. It says, so insert the poles and move. Okay, so, well, how could that be? 
you're not allowed to take the poles out. So where are you, where are you inserting them from? So the truth of the matter is, there's a giant Rashi here. Um, the, what's, what's the issue here? Well, if you look at Perak Zayin Pasuk Zayin, it's not talking about the Aron itself at all. It's talking about the Mizbech. You got to know Chumash. That's the context. So gets into an issue. This was not. This is a. Uh, this is a detail that was not lost on Tosfos. And so we have uh, Girsa issues here, and 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 presumably it's talking about a different pasuk that it's Perak Chafhei Pasuk Yudalid, which makes more sense anyway because um, it's 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 in the context of what we were discussing anyway. Uh, so there's, there's a Girsa, Girsa issue here, and, and a concept, but the concept is the same. The Shakla Vitariya remains that we're talking about the Aron, we still do have a contradiction. If the poles are, in fact, not supposed to be moved from the Tabaos, so then why is it that we're saying, oh yeah, so then just insert the poles into the Tabaos and move on? That can't be. So the Gemara answers, this is how it, you can reconcile that as follows. Mitparkin Yeah, that they were loose, but they didn't come out entirely. So they were sort of like loosely attached, and then you grab them and you sort of like insert them more tightly as you're about to carry the Aron. And now we're going to have a Brysa to support that whole uh, Teretz as follows. Tanya Nami Hachi, we also learned this in a Brysa. Uh, the Brysa says this, Pretty much explicitly. It says, that right, the rings and the poles, uh, the, the poles have to stay inside the rings of the Aron. You might think that they're there and they don't move at all. But we see that when we move it, the, in fact, the Badim move, right? The poles do move. But, so, when it says you should insert the poles, it sounds like they're insertable and removable. So, but the Pasuk, in fact, says that they have to be part of the Aron all the time. So, how do you reconcile this? So, we say, as we just said, that, in fact, they're there, but they're loosely attached. You tighten it and then move on. And that's how you reconcile the two Pesukim. Okay, now that we're talking about the Aron, let's talk a little more. Four lines up from the bottom. Right, so we have a pasuk. The pasuk says that's in Shmos Chavav Tes Vav. It says the Briut Vasisa Tzakrashim the Mishkan. Famously, Atzei Shitim Omdim. Make the wooden boards with standing up Atzei Shitim. Okay, standing up cedar wood. What 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 in what way are they standing up? So we're going to have a few different uh, possible pshat, uh, uh, explanations here. So one explanation is that you had to orient them in the construction in the same orientation as they grew. Another possible explanation. Omdim in the sense that they are like a substructure that supports the gold plating. That is what omdim means. Okay. Another explanation. Omdim. Shematomar avad sivra nuvatil sikuyan, right? We say it in Hebrew all the time. When you ask, um, you know, what are my prognosis for this or that to go well? And they say, in sikui, no chance. Sikuyan means their hope, their chance. So we say, you might think that when the, uh, we are in Gullus and the, and the Mishkan and everything and, uh, has been fallen into disuse, that maybe the gold will remain. But when we retrieve, Bezras Hashem, soon, all of these kalim, that the wood would have rotted out, Talmud Lomar Oimdim. So the Torah is teaching you, that forever this wood will in fact remain, 
May we be zochet to see it soon. And then we'll see that in fact this cedar wood lasted eternally. And so we will have all of the um, Aaron Bezrat Hashem return to us intact. Fine. So now in the last line over here, What does it mean the big day hasrad? When it says that you're supposed to serve in the base of Mikdash with big day srad, so Rashi last uh, Rashi Lashon Sarid. We're going to see what Sarid means. It, it technically means mesh, but they're not made out of mesh. So what's the lesson? So as we turn to Ein Beis and Beis, the Gemara says in, at the almost symbolic time of six twelve a.m. says the Gemara. If it weren't for the Big Day Kahuna and the Kapara, presumably right that you get from all the Avodas Hakohanim, uh, there would be nobody left. There are many psukim, um, various psukim where we see um, that sarid means a strand, a remnant of Klai Yisrael should remain. Okay, so that is, in fact, the uh, Big Day Srad is referring to the fact that in the schus of these begadim, there's a remnant of Klai Yisrael left and reborn. Okay, another way of looking at that Shimon in Rav Shimon's yeshiva, they taught a brisa as follows: Begadim shegordim osam kiviyasan miklehem umisardin beim klum. That it has to do with the process of the big day kahuna, as Rashi explains. Now, look for the Rashi. Don't look on in the inner column, guys. Ein beizim and beiz has no tosfos, and therefore these Rashi's on the outer column here. Shegordim osam kiviyasan miklehem. Basically, Rashi explains the process. That the process was very unique. When you usually, when you stitch clothing, uh, for those of you here who are into that sort of thing, you take different, right, swatches and, 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 and you sort of stitch them all together, um, to create the cloth. Not so the Big Day Kahuna. The Big Day Kahuna were sort of weaved in a very, as Rashi explains, um, it's a, it's a special, um, craftsmanship skill to be able to weave it in sort of a cylinder so that you get a whole cylinder when you're weaving it and then it's entirely, uh, put on the coin as, as, as such. Meaning it's not like a back and a front that are made separately flat and then stitched together, but rather a full cylinder, it's weaved in that way. It's a very unique type of weaving. That's what you learn from, uh, from umisardin behem klum. It means that, that some part of them is left over, but not a lot, because really, like I said, sarid means either remnant, um, so we said either it's referencing the remnant of Klal Yisrael, or here it's just talking about right the textile, the, the building of the cloth process, which does not leave a lot of strings because there's a lot, not a lot of seams that we're sewing. Although there are some, it's not a lot. As the Gemara explains, Maihi, what's, what's part is that's left over? What is the sari that is left over? There is a portion of the Beged that was in fact created through sewing. Not a lot, most woven, but a little sewing. How so? We said that you can't make any sewing and stitching in the Big Day Kahuna. That's why we went through the trouble of learning the skill of doing it through the cylindrical weaving process. Elamaisa Orig. Orig means weaving, not sewing. Shanamar. As we say, you may have recalled this from the Pasuk, Maise Orig. Well, that's a good, that's a good source. It says it should be weaved, not sewed. So Gemara says no. The sleeves. The sleeves. Kidatanya, like you learned the Bryce, a base yad shall big day kahuna. So when it describes, 
right? The Brisa describes the sleeves of the big dikeuna. It says you make sort of like right the torso by on its own in the weaving process we just described. Then make the sleeves in the cylindrical weaving process we described, and then you attach the sleeves to the torso portion imabeget uh, through stitching. And that, and then as an aside, the sleeves reach until the palm of the coin's hand. So now you have a better visual, as Goranitz was saying, of the actual big day kahuna, how they looked, and how they were put together. Okay, 11 lines down on nine bays and bays. It's going to talk about the aron that was used in the Mishkan. Amarachava, Amarabihuda, Shalash Aronos, Sabitzalel. Sabitzalel made three aronos. So as we know famously, the aron was wood in the middle, and it was coated inside with gold and outside with gold. Was it gold-plated? No, it was not. It was made three aronos that were put one into each other like a babushka dal One into the other. So the middle one was nine. Well, the, the, the full height was ten tfachim. And we're going to say the thickness... It's a little bit machlokus about the outer, but the thickness, if the thickness is a tefach each, so then each one has to be sequentially eight and then nine and then ten tefachim, you know, going from inside out. It's not going inside out here. It's going middle and then, and then inside and then out. So the middle would be nine. And so you shall eights, which was obviously the middle one was, as we discussed, wood, that was nine. Panimi shazav shmona. The inner was gold and that was eight. And on And the outside was ten plus. What's ten plus? We have a brisa that says that it was eleven plus. So the Gemara answers low kasha. In other words, we need to have another tefach in order to um, uh, in order to cover the lip over there, in order to to, to where the curtain went. And the mashu we're going to see is going to be the cur- the crown on top of the on top of the aron. So so we have to have a really eleven and a half if we want to cover the nine and a half because again we have the lip and the thickness. And so what the gemara is explaining here is the, he who says ten v'mashu does not ascribe any thickness at all to the actual aron. He just holds that it's literally like a thin plate at that stage. And the bottom of the outer box was very thin. Um, this happened to be uh, the statement of Rabbi Yehuda here who says that it's 10 v'mashu. So that's how you account for either 11 and mashu and 10 v'mashu. What's this mashu? As we just said, umaya mashu is there. That's the crown. Okay, so now we're going to learn a little bit of Musa here about the crown. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, shlosha zeirim There were really three crowns. If you look in the, right, in, in the, in the clay, uh, Miklash as follows, the Mizbeach. We know that the inner Mizbeach had a crown on it, as we described. Vishal Aron, the Aron, the aforementioned crown that we met, just mentioned. And Ve'ala Shulchan, right? This appearance of gold crown around the Shulchan also had. Okay, so those are the three. Now Rashi points out how each one is actually um, symbolic of something. Shal Mizbeach, Zacha Aron, and Talu. The Mizbeach makes sense. That is in the schos of Aaron, because after all, that's the Kohanim doing the Avoda on the Mizbeach. Shulchan Zacha Davin and Talu. Shulchan represents sustenance. Davin Melech, it was in his schus, right? He was a king, and that was the sustenance, right? That, 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 uh, was in that schus that we have the sustenance, and therefore the Ketzer around the Shulchan is like representing Davin Melech. However, here it is, guys, Musr in the Yeshiva. Shal Aaron Adain Munachu. Wow. The schus, for which you get the crown of Torah, 
the Kessler Tire, which is what we're seeing all around now, right? The um, we have a lot of advertising around to support uh, Yeshiva's Kessler Torah's Hachnasa Sefer Torah. That is still available for us to get the schus. Says the Gemara, Anybody who wants to be zoichet to the crown of Tyra can come and claim it. Unless you say that the fact that it's unclaimed means that it's lesser than the Aron that was claimed by, right, by, than the Mizbeach that was claimed by um, coin or the Shulchan was claimed by David Melech. It says, the Pasuk says in Mishlei, this is the kings of kings. Rashi. Means like this. Who's greater, the king or he who crowns the king? You must be greater than king if you have the authority to crown a king. And therefore, that, that Pasuk is said in the context of Kesar Torah. And therefore, the Kesar Torah, which is available for all of us to claim, is in fact greater even than the Kesar of the Shulchan or the Aron. Beautiful. Now I understand this. My right. Italian. Going back. Exactly. That's why they had, exactly. They had more covered because they were the Gedolei Hadar. Very good. That's exactly right. Now Rabbi Yochanan Rami, Rabbi Yochanan noted the following, however, um, Stirak, Steve Zar. Here's a contradiction. It says Zar. V'karinan Zer. In other words, when you look at the Kriuk Siv, the word is Zion Reish. So that seems like it says Zar. And then yet we say that it's a crown, which is Zer. So Zacha, Nasis Lo Zer. Lo Zacha, Zara Himenu. Wow, a Musr, a Goranlet's Musr moment. If you are so deserving, then the Torah will be a crown for you. If you're not, then the Torah will seem strange to you. This is where we understand the concept of, right, Yerush Shemaim, that if you're not going to internalize, as Goranowitz keeps pounding into our consciousness here, if you're not going to internalize the Musr of the Torah, then you're not going to be Zohar the Torah altogether. Wow, Rabbi Yochanan Rami. Here's another contradiction. See, Vasisa Lecha, Aaron Eitz. You should make the Aaron out of wood. That implies... He was talking to Moshe Rabbeinu. Me, Armael, me. This is Hashem telling Moshe Rabbeinu. So it sounds like Moshe should build it. And yet it says, they, who's they? Who's going to make the Aronat Seishitim? I thought Moshe was making it. Mikan, so we must learn here. That, yeah, it was attributed to Moshe Rabbeinu, but he didn't get his hands dirty. He was learning Tyra. And everyone else was working. And that's the way it sometimes works when you're a real Tamar Chacham. So you have... Right, the distribution of labor, where the Tav Chacham's learning, and the rabbis are learning, and we're working, and we're supporting them, and it's in their merit. Another pasuk, another lesson, a Muslim lesson from the Aaron. You're supposed to cover it within and without. What do you think the lesson is there, Gerano? It's a spare the suspense. Amarava. Kol Tamar Chacham she'ain tocha kavaro, eino Tamar Chacham. If your inside is not like your outside, Rava says, you're not a true Ben Taira. To which the Gemara adds, it's loathsome to be a faker. Surely that loathsome and tainted person who drinks uh, iniquity like water, water is, Mayim uh, is Torah, and it's ref- referencing this idea of appearing to be a Tamachacham. Uh, on the outside, but not behaving as such internally. With the few minutes we have left, we're ten lines up from the middle lines. Right? In other words, that pasuk is again in Mishlei. Why is there money that fools have to purchase wisdom even though they don't have a good heart? Says the Gemara. Here, when it says, it's referring to Tamir Chachamim, 
it's oivavoy to somebody who people hold up as a teacher of Torah and they are marbits Torah publicly, etc. And they and they and they look like tamidah chachamim, but at the end of the day, they fear, they lack yiras shemaim. That's the worst. Similarly, machriz rabbiana. Rabbiana would declare chaval al delesle darta v'sarla darte avid. It's like being homeless on the street. Woe unto a person who doesn't have a dira, and yet he's making vitar avid. He's making a gate. It's like. He's living on the street and then he builds a gate like as if he's living in a gated community. But there's no gate. There's a gate to no street, which is to say to be adorned in Torah with no inner Yerushalayim is like to have a gated community to your, to your life on the street, which is to say that the Iker, right, is the Yerushalayim inside and the Torah serves as a protection to that. that that's the Iker, however, is the Yerushalayim that the, the, the Torah learning brings within you. I beg you, he used to say to his Talmidim, Lo He says, if you're not sincere and you don't care about learning, it's an unbelievable statement, I'm begging you, if you don't care about learning, so don't learn. Don't sit in here and act like all holy if you don't care about learning. May as well go out and, right, because then you don't get Olam or Olam Haba. You already gave up on your Olam Haba. May as well enjoy Olam if you've given up on your Olam Haba. Don't sit here um, and, and pretend to be what you're not. And similarly, I'm that's the Torah that Hashem put before Klal Yisrael. Zacha, if you're deserving, nasis lo sam chaim. Then it could be an elixir of life. Lo zacha nasis lo sam amisa. But sam could also mean a, a drug that is deadly. So it all depends on whether you're zoche with the year of Shemaim. V'hainu d'amar rava, d'uman lo sam adachaya, d'lo uman lo sam adamosa. So very similar to what rava said, that if you use it skillfully, it could be elixir of life. Otherwise, it could be deadly. And Amar Shulam Barachmini, Rabbi Yonas and Rami, Ksiv Pikud, Hashem Yisharim, Misam Chelev, Uksiv Imras Hashem Tsurufa, Zacha Misamachto, it can make you happy if you're Zoche, but Lo Zacha Tsurufta, if not, it could smelt you. We'll continue tomorrow with Rishlakish Amar, which is the first wide line on Ayn Bez, Ahmed Bez. <laughs>